Thanks for downloading the UW Alumni Voices podcast. This is part of our international grad series where we're speaking with alumni from across the globe who will share some insights and what it takes to work overseas. And we're lucky to have Kevin James from the Walt Disney Company in the UK who's going to be able to share some insight and kind of his journey that took us to the UK that started in 2000. And Kevin, can you explain to, I guess, the listeners what your role is there at the Walt Disney Company? Yeah. Hey, Josh. Um, so what I am is I'm effectively the head of revenue for the Walt Disney Company in Europe, Middle East, Africa, um, Southeast Asia. Fundamentally, that means I, uh, my, my team, my team's job it is, is to bill all our clients. And this covers uh, our businesses in our TV channels. It covers all our advertising across all our platforms, all our YouTube environments, all our social media things, all our channels. Uh, it also includes all our consumer products. Um, and in terms of consumer products, we're the biggest licensor in the world. So everyone does business with us. Um, also, our parts of our studio business, parts of our home entertainment business, parts of our, our um, content management um, business, which is the selling of TV programs to other TV channels that aren't ourselves. So basically, my team bill for all of those things and everything else in between that we, we touch and my job is to manage the relationship between my team and the accountants and the finance teams and the lawyers and the salespeople and the customers and the tax people and everyone else like that. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I do every day, you know, trying to keep everyone doing the same thing, try to keep the requirements of teams like accounting and tax and PR and sales working together in the same direction because, of course, they all have very uh, different um, different aspects of the job that are very important. And in terms of us, because we're dealing with real honest customers and money and the end result of everyone's work that they did to create the deals in the business. Um, and it's our job to get all the money and everything from those people and put it in the right place. Uh, it ends up being quite a relationship driven experience. That is a lot to take in there. <laughs> so, like, I mean, what, what's the most interesting aspect of your role? Because you, you touched on, you know, I mean, everyone deals with Walt Disney Company mm. in some facet. Can you single out it, the, what, the most interesting part of your role or like what's the most amazing part of your role that you've experienced there? Yeah, um, I think the most amazing part is actually working for a company that has quite uh, quite uh, depth and breadth of, of what it does. Um, lots of other entertainment companies will do some elements of it. Uh, Disney does many things and they do things in a, in a scale that most everyone else doesn't necessarily experience in terms of you know, consumer products. They are by far the biggest licensor in the world and they went and bought the second biggest licensor in the world in Lucasfilm. So in terms of uh, channels, they're not the, the biggest operator, but obviously they're a very, very key brand partner when a, a, a pay tv partner wants to advertise the channels they have disney channel is very much up there because it fundamentally represents kids entertainment family entertainment for everyone in terms of programming sales we're obviously not just selling disney films we're also selling everything we own from from uh from abc in america so lost desperate housewives all of those programs and you know, we're talking about back catalogs that run for years and years and years we used even at one stage when I was there, we owned Miramax Films. So we were selling all of those things as well and making money off, off films very, very differently to what you would think that Disney owned. And then you're not even really sort of even touching the, the things like the cruise ships and the, and the theme parks and all these things that are a massive 
organizations all by themselves, even if they didn't have the rest of the company. That's probably the special part about it is working for a company that is so big that when we, I remember we bought a little internet company recently, a couple of years ago, and they were panicking and calling me saying, oh my head, they hadn't been paid by someone and they couldn't pay their talent. I had to explain to them that it was Disney and we had lots of money and it was okay. We could, <laughs> we, we would operate, we would continue operating the next day. It was, it was, uh, and you, and it's, it's, it's also, it's a little bit, um, well, it's special in that sense that you, that you can do these things and everything you do makes a big impact. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what brought you to the UK? Cause we touched on that start there. You've been there since 2000. Like what yeah. is it? Is it just the typical Perth boy has to move to the UK kind of story or what, well, what drew you there? Because I couldn't get a job in Perth. <laughs> <laughs> um, I honestly, I mean, I, I, maybe the situation is different. I, I did a Bachelor of Economics uh, and I graduated in 1995 and I couldn't get work. And I would have, you know, easily applied for sort of, you know, four, 500, 600 uh, jobs. I did my master's degree in marketing uh, I, I was a tennis coach and, and still I couldn't get work and uh, get a proper job. And, and I realized in 2000, I just had to, I had to leave. I had to go somewhere where there are other opportunities. Um, and that's, that's just the way it is really. You know, you, Perth is a small market and even Australia is a small market. You know, I, I look back at my colleagues now who run a, look after Australia for Disney and, you know, they have, you know, 30 clients. I have 2000 to look after and wow. you, you think to yourself, well, this is <laughs> a very, you know, I, I, it's a very small, it's much smaller market. Uh, and that's just the challenges. You know, it doesn't mean that there, if you get a job in Australia, there are plenty of challenges and plenty of things there, but their opportunities for, for people are, are much bigger uh, in, in London and in Europe. So, you know, I just had to take that risk and, you know, come over. Had I been born in a different era, they would have been different. You know, I would have had different opportunities, um, but that's the way it is. You deal, you, you go with the, um, the cards that life plays you. So, yeah. So how did so you I, get your first yeah. job in the UK? Well, our first job in the UK was actually as a waiter and then as a butler for um, investment banks. So big investment banks over here have private catering, uh, private dining rooms where they send clients and I was a butler there. So, um, yeah, that's, that's how I got my first job. And then I became the receptionist for the private dining suite. And then I became the PA for the manager of the catering team. And he was, running 150 people on in, a, in a, just a couple of locations. And then, you know, I, I moved from there. So it, it, funny enough, I, I ended up um, working at Hasbro, the toy company. Uh, I went there as a, as a temp to, to do some data entry. And, you know, six years later, I, I left having done an awful lot of their contract management and of their finance. And then that's when Disney came calling and I went on from there. So I have been at Disney for 10 years now. But it sort of wasn't really in fun that some sense it wasn't really until I was at Disney that I felt like I had a job that you know, was sort of using, utilizing my skills. And, and that's, that's a challenge, I think, for lots of us when we leave university. We sort of hope that we will get, a, we, you know, we, we, we understand this sort of path that we expect. We'll go to university, we'll get a degree, we'll get a professional job. And, and for some of us, for lots of us, it doesn't happen that way. Um, and that's, that's a, it's a bit of a shock to the system, but it's, you know, you, you have to get out there and, grab the opportunities and make them make the most of what you've got. So if someone's listening to this thing and yeah, I want to work in the UK, I would love to work for, for Disney. Mm -hmm. What do they need to know? 
one of the big challenges I think you come you face when you come over here is that the, edu the concept between education and work is very different. In Australia, for most people, you go to university to study what you're going to do as a job. That's not how it works in UK. Uh, you you most people go to university to study, uh, and then they, they're hoping to say that they like something they like, um, and then they will go and get a job. In a, in a can be a very different field. Uh, people grad the concept of a graduate is viewed very differently. And not in all careers, obviously, if you're studying medicine, you know, you, you're going to go off and become a doctor. Um, but there is still a big chunk of people who go to university to study English literature and then go on to become a lawyer. And that's completely expected or understood. Uh, that's how it works. And, you know, you can't sometimes you can't help but feel jealous of that privilege of having mm -hmm. uh, a lot of UK graduates, you know, go to university to do university. To, it's, it's a concept, not a not a, um, a progression in their life. Um, so I think the big thing is to realize that, you know, it won't be a obvious progression unless you were a professional qualified person. So you're a, either a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or whatever. Those things are more straightforward. But for the rest of us, it's a different game. If you're in engineering, you may find yourself in a completely different experience than what you, you're trained to be. And what about like jobs at Disney? Like, I mean, what are the jobs that are, I guess, most in demand or the, the need for Disney? Because... You know, one of the common themes at the moment, I guess, is the future of work and people trying to yep. future-proof their career. Disney is cons consistently evolving their business. And I guess, you know, the mm -hmm. example is a lot of the, the streaming that is taking place. And I guess that your mm -hmm. war with Netflix. Yeah, so what are the types of jobs? You know, what are the jobs that people should be look looking for to, I guess, be developed to work for Disney? Yeah. Disney, in over the last 10 years, has really sort of... Uh, from where it was 10 years ago to where it was now, it's made a lot of changes in terms of the way in which it employs people and what the roles are and everything. And I think lots of companies have gone through that transition, but Disney has very much gone through that transition and realised that maybe 10 years ago, it, it employed a lot of people that, that in, in roles that simply don't so much exist anymore. For, for Disney now, it's definitely trying to get this stuff to be as productive as possible. So in a sense, um, you know, coming into Disney, you're most likely to come in as a, a in finance um, or in creative approval. In fact, they are the, probably the biggest ways you get into the company because that's the parts of the work that we, that we can't uh, so much outsource or we say we can't so much automate you know you, you we need people to look at things and approve things we need people to uh collate information and and turn it into data that is useful for the rest of the company to understand and yeah i think creative companies media companies are quite unusual because we of course we see we see them as great great content producers but that content production is done in tiny small locations quite often outsourced to other production firms as well so the then the work is then taking intellectual property that we've created and then exploiting it be that as a salesperson be that as in finance be that in you know whatever way we can and that's that's more towards the future of work is that there are less content production uh and then more exploitation of the rights and exploiting as much as we can out of each of our intellectual property in in the most positive way <laughs> now you're talking about being a creative company you know mm -hmm. creative people live all over the world how hard is it to i guess work for a company like disney if you, you're living outside of your europe 
Disney, uh, you know, in, in some sense, actually, so much of our content is created in certain in certain hubs and locations. It's mostly created in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously have arms in areas, but fundamentally, the work that we do in in Europe is not that much different from the teams, the work that my teams do in South Africa or Australia or Shanghai or wherever. And we're trying to get to that point even more that that basically it's not important for us to have people. In London, you know, if we can do the work in another place, then, you know, we want that freedom. We want the ability for people to be able to do quality work wherever they are. And it doesn't mean they don't have to be doing only work for their own territory. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's hugely important because um, I will have colleagues in, in certain countries that only they only see one aspect of it because that's all they have in that country to give them work that they and they will experience other territories and other ways of doing business and everything is opens people's minds so you know i think that's definitely something that disney is actually actively encouraging right at this point in time trying to work out those solutions is there a lot of satellite offices there i guess you know you've got a lot of colleagues all over the globe you know mm. right now people can't see you you and i haven't having a face-to-face conference call is there a lot of that in your role oh yeah absolutely uh we have a lot of offices and since our acquisition of fox even more offices to look after um but yeah we have a lot of people uh, in locations across the world and a lot of in connection between all our teams uh, ourselves and latin americans and the us and the asia pac teams and everything and i think that's something that we encourage more and more um so yeah there's definite opportunities all over the world it's not you know locked into certain locations so much anymore and what, what do what do Disney expect from I guess all the foreign employees? Like, is it just simply that knowledge, that local knowledge? They're bringing something else different to the company because I guess you you won't have quite such a diverse workforce there. Um, yes, we do. A, a lot of it is local knowledge. A lot of it is you know if I have if I work with colleagues in places like Turkey or Israel where there are very very specific ways of doing business, um, that's what we you know you want from those people. You you know. We're not expecting them to, should say, do just you know the most the sim- simple boring out parts of their life. We're we're expecting them to know how it is that that, that business is done in Israel, how it is that, that relationships are built in Turkey. What should we be aware of? What are the tax implications? How do things need to be done? More and more countries and governments are putting. Um, uh, requirements on firms to do certain things in a certain way and which is you know it's fine it's the way life is and it's the yeah. but it, we're expecting people to we, we want people in those local territories to understand and be able to explain that to the rest of us and say you know this is how it works in India this is what we need to deal with how do we manage that and if if someone you know let's say a recent graduate is you know is looking at moving to the UK what are the biggest adjustments they need to make from living in Perth, apart from the weather, mm-hmm. to moving to the UK, what are the biggest adjustments they need, need to be aware of? I mean, you know, fundamentally, the biggest thing is is the size of the city, um, and you know, it, it comes like every culture, every country has sort of different things in terms of you know driving and um, and tax forms and things like that. But fundamentally, it's the in in terms of coming to London, it's the size of a city that's this big. Uh, that your anonymity is so much different, you're so much more than than you have in Perth, and 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 the loneliness that you will feel, you know, un, uh, until you build up a network of friends and colleagues, uh, and then of course the fact that that it's a very transient city as well. People leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, your best friend can be there, but they will leave because another opportunity comes, or they will move out of town because they have children or whatever, and you need to be prepared 
for that reality of life that the people won't be around and that you need to continually build the relationships and friendships that you need. Is that something that you've experienced quite a lot in your time where you've had colleagues that have experienced that as well? Oh yeah. No, I mean, you ever, you know, you never escape it. You know, you're, um, <laughs> you know, you still one day, one day you'll be working with a colleague. One day you'll, you'll have a great friend. And then the next day they'll say they're leaving, they're moving, they're going home, they're going to America, they're moving out to the suburbs or whatever. And, you know, you never see them again. And, and, and that's just, the way it goes uh, or you'll move companies and you know and the people that you are very close with inside the company you won't see them again you will you you might try once or twice it's a challenging place to socially interact sometimes um just getting two two people in the same location um so yes you know that's you you'll never escape that and if you if you think differently if you if you come with a group of friends you'll think everything's fine and then one day you'll be by yourself so you need to be constantly vigilant to that challenge. Now, do you remember your first week there in the UK? Do you remember yeah. that time you just, you stepped off the plane and you go, oh, yes. what have I done? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yes, but I, I, there was part of me that knew that this, I had to do this, that there was, you know, and, and I was lucky, I guess the people uh, who come, who end up going home quite quickly are usually those people who have left a good job in Australia and they come to the UK and, after six months of dealing with the crap of moving to a big city and you know not having the perfect job or whatever, they go, you know, really, why would I do this? You, you, in some sense, you come to London when you have no other opportunity. You know, you you have to do this. You know, I mean, my, my husband's Zimbabwean. He he left Zimbabwe uh, because he just had to leave Zimbabwe because you just had to because the life was just not worth living there anymore. And you can put up with an awful lot of crap to start with in a new place when that's your when when that you're faced with that challenge. Yeah. So yeah, no, I very vividly remember my first week in the sense of just yeah, just trying trying to. Um, it wasn't so much getting around or anything. It was no problem. It was just like, you know, I know I need to get things moving. I need to find a job. I need to do all these things. Yeah. And that's a challenge. So what's the best way to get settled there in the UK? Like, you know, how do you create your networks? How do you, do you develop friends? Hmm. Um, that's a good question in terms of these things have changed in 20 years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I was at 20, when I was 20 years ago, obviously there were the, you know, in terms of, of, connecting with people online, it was mm. not as common. Um, there were more social groups in the sense that there are more, you know, you found social groups, you found people with common interests. Um, I know for a fact that there, there are less of that, but that's something that, I think that's something you have to do. You have to find other people of common interests. Mm. Um, and actually these days I spend a lot of time with young creatives, um, introducing them to other people or connecting with them because it's, I find a lot of them, whether they are, are, are writers or, or artists or whatever, are, are very are lacking in, in those networks that are essential for them. Um, and so I these days spend a lot of time introducing them to other people, other creatives they can work with, or people who might be able to do that, might be able to do business with, because it's a challenge for all of us. Do you find yourself a bit of a mentor in that situation as well? Um, yeah, yes, I do. Um, in a sense um, that... Uh, you know, you learn from your own, you learn from your past and your own mistakes. And, um, and some, most people just need someone to talk to or someone to sort of say, yes, go, you know, have you thought about this, do that. Um, you always sort of think of mentoring as, as, as being, as you being a great expert on, on a field, but uh, a lot of it is just encouraging the people to keep going and keep pushing and, and keep thinking and think different and th say those things out loud that they wouldn't necessarily say to themselves. 
how can you showcase your your personal brand on and offline in the in the UK? Because you just said it's got transit city. Perth's two degrees of separation. I'd assume the UK is probably five to six degrees of separation. So, and trying to get noticed in in such a big city has to be have its challenges. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it probably it's even more important that your your personal brand be clear and concise, and you and you know you know what you what you need to say in various environments. It's very easy to have uh, different elements to your personal brand that you show to various people. Uh, the various um, agents and business partners in my life, you know, will see different aspects of me, and that's fine. Um, but it's important that you create a very clear guidance and you know what you want to say. In effect, you're, you're sort of pitching your life every time you talk to these people. You want to be able to walk into a party or an event or say, and have something to say and say it. And so these people walk away going, I remember that person. I, I'm lucky in a sense that I've got quite a few creative elements in my life that I can walk in and tell, talk to people about and they remember who I was and they come back to me. But that does, you know, you, you, we all need to create those elements of ourselves so that we become uh, people will mem- people remember who you are uh, and people will know to go to you and they find you approachable. Now, we talk a lot about the stuff, I guess, with what you're doing at work. What about outside of work? How are, what are the things to do in the, in the UK that people can connect with one another? Like, are there, you know, there's, or, or there's, I guess it's a city that generally never sleeps anyway, but, you know, can people make those career connections outside of the workplace? Oh, yeah. And in fact, it's, it's one of those things. It's like it's the lifeline, I think, of, of LinkedIn. Unless you're a salesperson, LinkedIn can be a very, very frustrating experience because um, when you connect to people on LinkedIn, it, the assumption is that the job is right there. Oh, you know, give me a job. And that's not how networking works. And I've actually found that it's been it's much more productive to network uh, other ways. Uh, and 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 then and then it's a more casual introduction, and therefore you introduce people and say, "Look, this this person has these skills. Maybe you guys want to talk." And so you lead them to talk, and maybe something comes of it. If nothing comes of it, it's fine. There was no pressure. There was no expectation. So, yeah, it's uh, it's even you know even in a place at a big city like London, London has remarkably large amounts of of community, um, and, and and you know. This is a place where you really do find the people who do what you want, uh, do as well. You know, they, you know, there there isn't a there isn't a a, a concept or a, an event or a, a a a sport or anything that isn't covered in this town, mm. some way, shape, or form. And through those people, you build those connections, uh, and, and then they can be fantastic connections. You know, you find people in London that do things that you never knew were possible or, you know, whatever, um, then there's plenty of those environments for that. So, you know, definitely in terms of, of, you know, extra education or sport or, uh, you know, social, social activities or whatever, there are definite ways in which you can build that network. Now I want to touch on, you talking about LinkedIn can be quite frustrating and then people connecting, expecting there to be a job. How often have people approached you on LinkedIn asking for a job? More times than, than um, yeah, you know, and it, I guess it's one of those challenges about jobs. And it's funny, a, a little, a couple of years ago, I, I, create, I made a film and I had the experience of being the casting director for the, you know, cast it for this film. And I realized that all those sort of jokes that actors tell about not being cast for things. I now understand the concept because, you know, you're faced with people um, cast, you know, uh, doing a casting and you realize that they're just not right. And that's the end of the story. And it's the same thing often I find when I'm employing people in interviews, 
and people come back and going, well, can you give me feedback? And, and you end up thinking, well, but the other person was just had more skill than you. There was nothing that you could have done. You were perfect in, in your element, but mm. there was someone else. And that's sort of a, a, a problem that isn't sort of spoken about very much is that quite often in terms of work, you know, it's nothing that you could have necessarily done. Um, there are definitely some people who are going to interview you who will try and trip you up and cause you to, you know, to make a mistake. But honestly, for the rest of us, we just want to find the right person. And, you know, quite often it's just simply, well, you were good, but there was someone better. Uh, or there were certain skills that you didn't have and that's none of your fault. You know, you maybe can build them somewhere else or whatever, but, you know, we can't, you couldn't have done anything for us. And I think it's a bit like um, relationships in life. You realize that it's not just about you. It's about the other person as well. Mm -hmm. And what does that other person want? And if you, if you come together and you both want the same thing or you both want what each other has, that's fantastic. But the tragic part of it is that most of the time you won't find that reaction. You won't. You'll be like, well, sorry, I want this set of skills. I don't have that set of skills. Fine. You know, let's move on. You, you'll find someone else. I'll find another opportunity. That's how it works. Um, but that's hard, of course, for, for everyone to grasp, for all of us to grasp. That, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, nothing we can do. Have you got any tips for, or for people when it comes to, to job interviews, like the do's and don'ts? Um, hmm. Because uh, you're quite yes. positive there. You're like, oh, you know, you, you could have got the job. It's just the other person was better, more, more skilled. Mm -hmm. But there's also times, I guess, where people can be in an interview where you're like, oh, you need to improve X, Y, Z because this yeah. is the first impression you're going to have of them. Job. Well, I, yeah, I, I guess it goes back to a previous point, really, which is, you know, you do your research and have have your point to say and make sure you say it. Uh, you know, you OK, these are the things I, I can bring. I need to have said them out loud um, to that person. Uh, it's quite it's amazing. Quite often you go into interview and the person doing the interview does all the talking. And you think, well, how on earth are they going to make a call on me? They didn't even understand. You know, I did barely got a word in. They were so busy telling me about the job. Um, so yes, it's, you know, it's that personal brand. It's like, what, what is the message you have, you know, have it prepared and make sure you get it, you get it said. And, and in some sense, that's, that's the best you can do. And, and, you know, each and every time, you know, you have those annoying experiences where they want, want you to be interviewed by 10 different people for some apparent reason that no one's actually grasped. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, the, yeah, it's, you, you've got to keep that message, get it, make sure you say it across uh, get it across and, and, you know, and leave them at that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the reality I think of, of, of most job interviews and best you can do, do you really can, for that do interview. You can, that message is safe. Yeah. Do you conduct many interviews as well via Skype as well? Because it's quite, it's, I guess, via a video conference, isn't it? It definitely is. And I, every time anyone ever talks about that, I always think of one of my senior management who insists on having lots of video conferences and yet has the camera situated in one corner of his office and he sits in the other end. So you can't really <laughs> I never, I never had the nerve to tell him that, you know, it doesn't make any difference. Just, just, just send him this podcast and it'll be a nice little yeah. subtle reminder. Yeah, to him, okay? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it, it, it is, it is different and it's, um, and actually funny enough, I remember doing a job interview that was all, uh, it was via Skype, but it was all computer. It was, all set questions the questions would pop up you had to answer them there was no interaction but i you know you were you were sort of forewarned of this so you are uh, you you need to be prepared again it's the same thing you're you know effectively you're an actor prepare your lines have what you have to say rehearse your you know rehearse those things know the key points to say get them across 
um, make sure that the camera looks good, make sure that you're, you know, well, make sure that your, your child doesn't run in and, you know, interrupt your, your, your podcast, your videoing. Yeah. <laughs> now, before I let you go, what's the one thing about working for Walt Disney or, you know, what Walt Disney does that not many people actually would know about? Oh, gosh. Um, 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 oh, wow, you're really throwing me there. <laughs> It's really weird. I suppose it's quite funny. We do research that sort of asks people, you know, and we know what people in certain countries know about Walt Disney. And it's very predicated on those countries that have like a, a free to air Disney Channel. We'll talk about Disney Channel all the time. Uh, those people who live in a country where a park is, we'll talk about the park all the time. Um, but it's quite often, you know, everyone in Disney has plenty of stories about you know what they what people say to them when they say they work for Walt Disney. Um, and I it is more, you know, either, oh, you work for the shop, oh, you work for the park, are you an animator? And, you know, it is a bit sort of <sighs> exasperating to sort of look back at them and go, you know, these things are big companies, right? They have lots of people who do lots of things. Oh, but boy, but what do we do that, that people don't know? Well, we now own a travel company, thanks to Fox. That was that was a bizarre experience, discovering we that's, own a... That's different. <laughs> National Geographic, there's a thing called Explorations, where they, I think they take people out on, you know, like, like a, a National Geographic Explorer would have done many years ago. And uh, as part of the relationship with National Geographic that we have, we now own this travel company. And it's like, huh, I'm not sure what we're going to do, how that's going to work out. Um, but... <laughs> Well, I guess it's one of those things we do own quite, uh, we, oh, here's, here's the best one I can think of, top of my head. The 19, I'm going to say 1950s, 60s version of Zorro, the TV movie was actually made by Disney. And Zorro is not necessarily a brand that you connect with Disney. And I remember being go. there and there was a painting of Zorro and I'm going, why is this there? And, you know, <laughs> suddenly Google it and discover that Disney made it back in the 1950s or something. You're like, oh, well, there you go. Um, so yeah, they, <laughs> Love it. now last question, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Now, if you can give one piece of advice to someone that wants to work to Disney, that wants to work for Disney, sorry. And one yep. piece of advice for someone that wants to move to the UK, what would it be? Uh, if you want to work for Disney, I would say, please don't go into the interview and say you're a Disney's biggest fan. Um, because <laughs> people say that and we given that we own so much you know I mean we own you know ESPN and everything um, having people walk in and say I'm a big fan of Disney doesn't really cut it uh, with me because you know I don't want people who are obsessed about Disney working for me I want people who want to do a good job um, so yeah that's what I would say unless you're unless you're going to work for I don't know for Lucasfilm or uh, you're going to be an animator or something really don't don't walk in there and say you know <laughs> This is biggest fan. Um, as to coming to the UK, one piece of advice uh, I would say is get your driver's license sorted out straight away. Uh, you can only swap your driver's license over in the first six months of being in the country. And after that, uh, it's not possible. So that's a very frustrating. I can drive everywhere in the world except for my own country now at the moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's my, my, my use, most useful piece of advice, you know, to a person coming over. There is tons of little things like that that you need to master, but I think the driver's license is a good, easy one to get sorted out straight away.
Beautiful. That's all about now, Kevin. Thank you so much. That was awesome. I know we could talk forever, and I'm sure everyone does talk forever with you when it comes to Disney. But I uh, really appreciate your time. And if anyone is looking to move to the UK, definitely hit us up because we've got grads all over the globe willing to connect and support you in your new city. But Kevin, that's all the time we have. Really appreciate it. No worries, Josh. Thanks very much, mate. Speak to you soon.